into a right relationship with Jesus. You, you enter into this relationship with him that takes you to the Father and he gives you his spirit in his life and he begins to change stuff. He begins to forgive the stuff that's back there. He begins to deal with the stuff that back, that's back there. And through his spirit, listen, through his power, he does a work in you to redeem what's back there. And redeeming means he doesn't just forget about it. Redeeming means he begins to use the stuff in our past to actually make a better future for us. There's gonna be times where we're staring dead straight to the unknown, staring dead straight into the darkness, staring dead straight into what we cannot see, but I wanna set you free right now and let you know that's where Jesus is the strongest. I wanna let you know that that is where Jesus does his best work in the unknown, where we don't know what's in front of us, but I wanna let you know that right now, tonight, if you're sitting in the unknown and you're sitting in the darkness, he's calling you to come out of the boat. He's calling you to step forward. He's calling you to take a risk. He's calling you to call that person. He's calling you to, to, to tell that person you love them. He's calling you to make some big changes. All right, Metro. Well, hey, it is so great to be with you guys today. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is DJ, and I'm the campus pastor of our Riverview campus. And uh, I'm just excited to spend the weekend teaching. This is one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I get to cover the topic, unstuck. Anybody feel unstuck? How about on our video campus? Any of you guys ever feel stuck in your life? Do you ever feel like you're just at this moment where you don't know what to do, and even if you thought you might have a clue how to do it, you can't even see past the end of the nose on your face? Well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in tonight and, uh, and, and see how we can get unstuck. So let's pray. God, thank you for every single person that is gathered here. I just uh, ask that you would speak through me, that you would come, uh, that the words from scripture that we read together would impact our lives in such a way that we will never be the same. I ask that you would help every single one of us that feels stuck to leave this place knowing how to get out of where we are. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a fog Anybody ever drove in fog, like you're driving down the road? I, I'm not talking about the kind of fog that uh, is like a Saturday morning cup of coffee, cool breeze over a pond kind of fog. I'm talking about the kind of fog where you, you turn your headlights on and it's worse, right? You can't even see like what's in front of you. It's better to drive in the pitch black fog. A few years ago, actually close to 10 years ago now, uh, my wife Kelsey and I were on our honeymoon and my parents gifted us this amazing cruise up the coast of the Atlantic Ocean into Canada. And we were so excited for this trip. Um, however, we got to a point on this trip. Uh, well, actually, let's not say we got to a point. The trip started at Metro Airport with a delayed flight that had to be rescheduled for another flight that ended up in a cracked windshield flight that ended up moving, going to Myrtle Beach, even though we were on the way to New York City, ended up uh, having an emergency landing in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, Pastor Danny, where you at? Uh, and ended up going into New York City and landing into the city as we saw our ship going across the Hudson River. 
it was, it was, a, it was a sad day, sad day. And so we decided, we were young, we were stupid, and so we decided we will rent a car and we will drive up the coast of the eastern side of the United States into Canada, and we are going to get to our trip. And so we drive up the coast after 12 hours. We get into St. John's, New Brunswick, and we decided when we got there, hey, we got a few hours to burn before that ship gets in. We need to go see this historic lighthouse that is in St. John's, New Brunswick. And if you've ever been on a cruise or any kind of like all-inclusive trip, they get you, right? It's cheap to sign up. They get you with these excursions. So I thought we are going to do our own excursion. I don't know what all those experts and, you know, all those people who do research did, but they can't know what they're talking about. I got my tiny car and I'm going to drive out and find this lighthouse on my own. And so we start driving out and I kid you not, we get about 10 miles out along the coast of St. John's, New Brunswick, looking for this lighthouse. And we got about 10 miles out there and the fog had increased to such a level that you literally could not see in front of your face. And so I've got this little car and the headlights are on and I'm like trying to squint my eyes, trying to drive down this road. And, and after about 10 minutes, we got some sense and thought, you know, maybe we should turn around and go back and actually pay for one of these excursions because maybe we're going to like lose ourselves. We didn't have cell phones. This is nine years ago. You know what I mean? Like there was no technology. Well, we might have had a cell phone, but we didn't have texting, you know? And so we, no one would have known where we were. We, we, had, we had a rental car and a map and we thought this is getting kind of stupid. It's getting too foggy. Let's turn around. And that's when it happened. I backed up my car and I went like this. And when my lights hit the side of the road over here, what I did not realize was that for the last 10 miles, we had been driving about this far from the edge of like a cliff that went to these boulders that were the edge of the ocean. And I freaked out. Like, little girl, ah, kind of freak out. Like, ah, okay, okay. And so we're both in the car like, whoa, whoa, thank you, Jesus. We didn't drive off the edge over there. I'm so glad. That's amazing. Okay, cool. So we did the only thing that you should, you know, think to do. We backed the car up and point the lights this way. Same thing over here. We had been driving for about 10 miles on this two-lane road in this tiny little car in this dense fog where if we had veered to the right or the left, we would have died, people. Like, it would have been over for us, and there is no way that I would be standing here today talking to you. It was horrible. I'll never forget it. We were paralyzed in that moment. We were stuck. Now, we're in the middle of this series called The Unseries. You guys enjoying this? Yeah, yeah, the un-series. And, and, and how many of us uh, know in our lives we have some things that we need to undo in our lives, right? And so we've been building on this the last couple of weeks. Well, today, I want to talk to us about this idea of being unstuck. You see, all of us have things that we're going through and places that we could say that we are stuck. And let me tell you something. When I was driving down that little road with cliffs on both sides of me, inches from my death, right? No, don't, don't forget that part. Inches from my death, I felt stuck. And to be honest, even though I knew I needed to turn that car around, I didn't want to. I wanted to stay right where I was. I was paralyzed out of fear. And that's where many of us live. For long periods of our lives, we feel like we're stuck. We're spinning our wheels. We work so hard day after day, but nothing changes. Our bills are the same. 
Our health is the same. Our relationships are the same relationships. Nothing seems to work. Nothing seems to change. And you feel stuck. Have you ever physically been stuck? Like, have you ever been there where, like, literally your car is sinking in the mud or the snow? Hello, Michigan, right? Your car is sinking in the snow, and your wheels are just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, and you don't know how to get out, and so what you do is you try to spin faster. Anybody ever been there? When I was um, uh, 18 years old, my dad let me my dad let me buy with my own money my first new used car, and so we went to the car dealership, and it was a little Saturn SL one or two, one of those little Saturns, I don't remember. And and I remember going there, and I remember it was $105 down, $105 a month. And I was a big deal, let me tell you. And I had my own little job, and I, I was excited to pay for this car. But we got to the dealership, and the dealer informed us that, that if you wanted the car for 105 down and 105 a month, you had to buy the stick shift. But I'd never drove a stick shift in my life. But my dad, being the, the very wise and frugal man that he is, said, you're going to buy the stick shift. And I'm like, but I don't know how to drive a stick shift. And he goes, I'm going to teach you. And so we literally bought this car and drove to our church parking lot, and he taught me how to drive a stick. Well, that led to some of the funniest years of my life, can I say, because I grew up in the sticks, okay? Dirt roads, hills, back to my parents, like country roads, like through the woods, over the river and through the woods to my parents' house we go. Like that is, that is the song of my life. And so we were out in the sticks, and I kid you not, my dad regretted making me buy that car because he taught me to drive that stick, but but every time, every time winter hit, I got stuck every time I left home. Like, I'm not kidding. I would get stuck, and I would get so frustrated that I was getting stuck because I'd be late for work or late for church or late for dinner with a friend. And so I would be in a ditch on the side of the road in the stick shift, and I would be trying to use my clutch and my gas pedal and doing the whole thing, you know, and then trying to shift into first gear, and, and the wheels would just turn and turn and turn and turn, and I would go nowhere. And that's where some of us find our lives. We're spinning our wheels so hard and we're spinning and we're spinning and we're pushing and we're pushing and we're trying to get out of that situation, but we're going nowhere. And it doesn't matter if it's in your health or your relationships or your finances or your soul. You are stuck. And so the question we have to ask is how do we move forward. God did not intend for us to live lives stuck. He could not have intended it for us because when we live stuck, we live in fear. We have no joy. We've got no fire in our soul. We're filled with anxiety and sometimes depression. And and friends, can I tell you this tonight? I don't believe that's what God has for us. I don't believe that's what God wants for us. I have spent too much of my life living this way, fearful of the future, fearful about tomorrow, feeling like I can't win, feeling like I can't get going, feeling like I can't overcome, feeling stuck. And I don't think that that is the way that God designed us to live. Now, now I know some of you guys, you're not stuck at all. And I just want to be very clear that you're here and you're like, that's, that's nice. You're talking about being stuck, but I'm not stuck. You're one of those people that you decide that you, you're going to lose weight. And so you go to the gym and you work out for 30 minutes and you lose 30 pounds. I don't like you. Just saying, I'm sorry, but I, that's, that's just not fair. Or maybe it's the new year and you're like, hey, I'm going to get out of debt this year. And it is like the second week of January and you're already debt free because you're that disciplined. 
or you won the lottery or something. I don't know what you did, but I don't like you. Because I've learned in my life that almost everything that I want to get to and everything that God calls me to, it takes a whole lot of work. And so if you're here and, and, and you're, you're like, you know what, I don't really need a stuck message, well, then this probably isn't for you. I probably don't have much to say. You can zone out. But if you're here and you'd say, you know what, I feel stuck somewhere in my life, then I came to talk to you. I came to talk to you to tell you that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay stuck because that's not how God wants us to live. The scriptures tell us a story about a young queen named Esther who found herself stuck in a life or death situation. She'd recently become the queen of Persia, and, and she was a Jew. And up to this point in Persia, they'd been pretty open and tolerant of the Jewish people, and they'd let them live in their own communities. But where we're going to pick up the story, there's this evil man named Haman, and he was an advisor to the king, and he had an agenda of his own wanting to wipe the Jewish people out of existence in Persia. And Queen Esther had this uncle named Mordecai. And he was the main reason that Haman hated the Jews. You see, these were Jewish people. They were God's people. They worshiped God, the God of the Bible, like they were told to do. But Haman hated that. The Persians worshiped false gods and idols, and he hated that the Jews worshiped God. And so being evil and anti-God and hating the man Mordecai, he went to the king. Now, this king was a little bit crazy. Maybe you're sitting next to somebody right now, and they're a little bit crazy. It's okay. God loves crazy. But this king was a little bit crazy. And this king had actually had a point where he, in uh, his previous wife, before he had uh, Queen Esther as his wife, he had invited her to come to a party he was throwing. And these guys were all partying. And it was like a seven-day-long party. And, and he said, you know, I want my wife to come dance for me. And so they came in, and, and he told his wife to dance. And basically, she didn't dance, and they cast her out of his presence forever. Like, boom, sorry, we're done. You won't dance, you're done. I know some of you men are like, man, I wish I could tell my wife that. Girl. All right, so we'll continue on. Okay, so, so Haman goes to this crazy king, and he says, look, king, I want you to issue a decree that every time someone walks by a person in Persia that represents you or your household, your kingdom, like your dignitaries, that every time they walk by, I want them to bow down to you. And the king, because what guy doesn't love that with his ego, right? Like, hey, yeah, you better let him bow down to me, says, all right, I'll issue a decree. And so they issue this decree, and then it goes across all of Persia that there's a decree that anytime someone from the king or the king's household walks by, you have to bow down and worship the king. Well, obviously, the Jews said, we're not going to do this. Mordecai, Queen Esther's uncle, said, I am not going to worship the king because I worship the only true God. And, and he refused to bow as Haman walked by. And this infuriated Haman. The decree was issued, and Haman begins to watch Mordecai day after day. And every time he passes and refuses to bow, Haman gets more mad. And so he goes back to the king. And guys, this man was a lunatic. He goes to the king and he says to him, listen, if someone will not bow and, and, and tell you uh, and, and worship you when, when, when someone from your household passes, I say, we issue another decree that says, if they don't worship you, they'll be put to death. 
This guy was intense. And so the king, because he's got his male ego, is like, yeah, sounds good. Let's kill them all, right? And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I wish I could kill my haters like that, right? Man, I wish I could get back at some of those people that have hurt me like that. And this king says, okay, and he issues the decree. And this is where he pick up the story. The decree is issued and word goes out all across Persia that if you don't bow down and worship the king, you're going to be put to death. But Queen Esther was a Jew. What the king didn't know was that in his very own household, his wife was the person that he was persecuting and wanting to put to death. And so Queen Esther finds out through her uncle Mordecai about what they're going to do. And her uncle says to her, listen, I need you to go before the king. I need you to go before him on behalf of your people. And, and, and I want you to, to walk into the king's chambers. And I want you to speak on our behalf. But, but listen to this. In this day and age, if you went into the king's chambers uninvited, you would be put to death. And Esther knew that. So she sent word back to her uncle saying, if I go before the king, I will die. She was stuck. She didn't know where to turn. She had hit a moment that many of us have often hit where we don't know what to do. We're spinning our wheels out of fear of what could happen. And this is where I want to pick up the story of Esther. Grab your Bible and turn to Esther chapter four. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's this really cool app called Google. You can use that and type in Esther 4, and boom, it'll pop right up. It's amazing. Cool. All right, so let's look at Esther chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. This guy had a lot of faith that it would come no matter what. But then he says, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have not come to your royal position for such a time as this. And that, friends, is where everything begins to make sense to Esther. That one little phrase, for such a time as this, that phrase was packed with potential because the word used in this verse in the original Greek was not referring to time as in a clock. It wasn't 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. or 3 p.m., but that word in the Greek actually is the word called kairos, and it means a moment in time. The actual literal meaning is the opportune time. It's a critical moment or an appointed time for such a time as this. And what Mordecai was saying to Esther was, look, this may be your moment. This may be the reason that you were sent to be queen in the first place. This may be your opportune time to not only save your life, but the lives of thousands of others. In other words, he was saying, Esther, you just might be pregnant with opportunity. And that's where many of us are today. We find ourselves stuck in a moment, and can I challenge you that the very moment or situation that you're stuck in could be a Kairos moment that God has prepared for you. 
This could be your moment to see life in a whole different direction. This could be your opportunity to change some things, to drop some old habits, to leave a life of sin. This might be your time. This might be your moment. This could be your crescendo. This could be the opportunity to finally give birth to some of your dreams. But if you don't catch what God is trying to do through you, you'll miss it and you'll stay stuck where you are. This is your Kairos. This moment, right now, right here in January of 2019, God brought you here on purpose. Do you hear me, Video Campus? God brought you here on purpose. It's not a mistake that you are sitting here today. God's got you here on purpose, and this is your time. And that's where Esther found herself. She was struck with fear. She felt paralyzed. She knew that if she went before the king uninvited, she could die. But she knew if she didn't go before the king uninvited, she was going to die anyways. And that's where some of you feel like you are. You think if I go to the right or the left, there's cliffs on both sides and I don't know which way to go. And so I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to just put my tent up right here and I'm going to camp out here until Jesus comes to get me. And you never live out the plan that God has for your life because you let your current situation become your life destination. God doesn't want us stuck. And so he gets our attention with these Kairos moments, these moments of time where we have to make a choice, where we have to say, God, what are you doing? And how am I going to respond. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, Pastor DJ, that's great. This is my moment. I came to church. That's wonderful. So what, uh, like, how do I do this, right? Anybody feel that way? You hear preachers get up and you're like, that's awesome, but how? That's why I love Metro, because we try to keep it as practical as we can for you. And so if it's okay with you, I want to get really, really practical with you and teach you something that is called the Kairos Circle. This is a concept that, that many people have used in research around these Kairos moments as something to help you learn what God might be saying to you when you find yourself stuck in a situation. And so here's how it goes. I'm going to have it come up on the screen and you can follow along with me. And so check out this line here. This line with an arrow is your everyday life, okay? You're walking through your life and you're like, life is good. Everything's great. But how many of you know sometimes life is good? And, and the Bible says that we go from glory to glory, right? And, and, and so, so it says we go from glory to glory and strength to strength. And the problem is it's really cool when you're in glory or when you're in glory or when you're in strength and when you're in strength, but it's not so fun in the two points. Portion. And some of us here are in the two portion. We've been in glory and we've had like awesome times and life was great and we had money in the bank and all the kids were behaving and our marriage was flourishing. And I mean, every, we were, sin wasn't even on the radar for us and we weren't fighting any addictions. We didn't have anything going on in our life. And, but right now we're, we're in the two portion. And sometimes when you're in the two portion, that fog is so heavy that you don't even know if God is still real. Sometimes when you're in the two portion, you're like, I don't even know if I can make it another day. I know God was good back there, but I don't know if he'll be good up there. 
And I don't know if I even want to go up there and try it because I'm so stuck where I'm at. And so we find ourselves in this everyday life and we hit this bump in the road, this Kairos moment. And that very moment that we hit is actually the moment when God is trying to get our attention. And we find ourselves in those moments sometimes spinning in circles, turning our wheels and going nowhere. But what if instead we looked at these moments as an opportunity for possibility? What if instead of going around the circle over and over with no different results, we did it differently? What if we added some action steps that allowed us to hear God and then respond to what he might be saying? And so as we walk around this circle, here's what I want to do. I want to go around. I want to give you some words. And if you're taking notes, now would be a great time to really take notes because I want to walk you through six different things in a very practical way to help you hear God when you hit one of these moments in your life where you're stuck, but it actually may be the moment where God's trying to get your attention. The first thing we have to do is we have to observe. When Queen Esther found out what was planned, she had a choice. She could ignore it and hope it went away, or she could observe that something was wrong. And let me say this as nicely as I can. Some of you need to observe that something is wrong. Your spouse is really happy right now. Some of you need to observe that something is wrong. At our video campus, some of you need to observe that something is wrong. Because the problem sometimes in our lives is that we won't admit anything going on is a problem. And we act like everything is okay, and we show up to church, and we smile, and we put on our happy face, and we hold our spouse's hand who we literally just wanted to, like, in the car, and we're like walking in, and it's like, church is awesome. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. How are you? Oh, I'm so awesome. Life is so great. In all reality, your life is falling apart behind the scenes. And some of you sitting here today need to start making an observation that something is wrong because the first step to admitting, or the first step to getting over a problem is admitting that you have one. And so look at the person next to you and very kindly say, you have a problem. You have a problem. You've been living with that addiction too long. You've been living on assistance too long. You've been out of work too long. You've been living with that man or woman that you're not married to for too long. And it's time for you to observe that you are stuck in a situation that you need to get out of. And when you come to that place Where you feel stuck, you have to observe what's going on in your life and admit that something needs to change. The first step to overcoming a problem is admitting that you have one. And then once you've admitted it and you've taken that time of observation, the next thing you do is you reflect. Look at Esther chapter 4, back at verse 15. It says this, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days or nights and I and my attendants will fast as you do. Sometimes when we realize we're stuck, we go right into fix it mode. We immediately try to take matters into our own hands and how many times do we know that takes us nowhere? So let's take some wisdom from Queen Esther. Let's stop and reflect. 
Let's pray. Some of you may need to fast. And and I know, I know you're thinking, if I fast, I'll get hungry. And I don't think God would want me to sacrifice that much. Well, okay then. Stay stuck right where you are. But those of you who want to get out of where you are, may I suggest that you fast and pray and do everything you can to take a time to reflect on what is going on and let God speak to you. If you really want a life to change, sometimes you have to take big steps to make it happen. Let me say that again. If you really want your life to change, sometimes you have to take big steps to make it happen. How bad do you want to be unstuck? The only person who can decide to take control of your life is you. God won't force you to do anything. How bad do you want to be free. Take time to reflect on where you are with God. Take time to seek him before you try to fix your own life by yourself. And then after you've had a time to reflect, the next thing you do is you discuss it with trusted friends. Now, now listen, I said you discuss it with trusted friends. The barista at Starbucks is not your trusted friend. The really hot guy in the break room at work is not your trusted friend, especially when you're trying to work on your marriage. You've got to find the right group of friends. This is why we push life groups so so much here at Metro, because we know that if you get in a community with 10 to 12 people that you do life with, that you share your life with, that they know your struggles and you know theirs, and you get into community with them, when those hard times come and when you feel stuck, you've got people you can go to to discuss what's going on in your life. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says, plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. This is what Esther did before she decided what to do. She sent word back to her uncle and told him to have everyone pray and be as a result of listening to what he told her to do. Listen, Metro, when God sends someone who speaks truth into your life, listen to what they say. When God Send someone who speaks truth into your life. Listen to what they say. Is anybody here? I might just need to talk to those at our video campus. When God said someone into your life that speaks truth to you, listen to what they say. Because over and over, we don't see change because we don't do what someone advises us to do. We are surrounded by people who love us and want the best for us and have godly wisdom, but we don't listen to what they have to say. I meet with people every week who come back time and time again, and I say, well, did you do what we talked about last time? Well, I thought about it. Thinking about it changes nothing. You have to do what you want to do and what you feel called to do. And you have to listen to what people say when it's godly advice. Ask people for prayer, ask for wisdom. You were not created to do life alone and you will never get unstuck if you won't humble yourself enough to talk to someone about what you're facing. All right, so how we doing? We good? All right, you guys got a few more in you?
I promise we won't go too much longer. I got three more I want to give you, all right? The next thing you do after you've observed and you've reflected and you've discussed is you've got to make a plan. Listen to Esther 4.16. Esther's talking here, and she says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights, uh, night and day. And I and my attendant will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Wow. Look, sometimes you just have to decide to make a plan, even if it's going to kill you. Maybe you need to make a budget that no longer allows for a $5 coffee every day. Maybe you need to plan a getaway for your spouse who you're currently not speaking to. Maybe you need to show up at Renew this week with a drink in hand if you have to, but at least you're here. Sometimes we get, you've got to get so committed to being unstuck that even if it kills you, you will die trying. How committed are you to making a plan? You've got to make a plan. You've got to make a budget. You might have to sign up for a next step class or schedule an appointment with a counselor. I don't know what your situation is, but make a plan to become who you know God has created you to be regardless of where you're currently stuck. And then once you've made that plan, now you've got to get someone to hold you accountable. Accountability is a great thing, and it's so key to getting unstuck. Uh, a few months ago, I had a, a Kairos moment in my life where I began to observe some extra flab on my body. Anybody ever felt that way? Just like, I've put a few pounds on, I've just eaten a few too many fries this year. And so I went into a season of reflection, and I drove to Dairy Queen and got a blizzard, and I sat in my car and reflected on what it would be like to be in shape again. And through that season of reflection, I decided I needed to discuss it with some friends. And can I just tell you that our pastoral staff here is uh, all very committed to health and working out. And so it's kind of like, if you can't beat them, beat them, you better join them, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. And I discussed it. And, and I went to Zachary, uh, Pastor Jason Zachary. And if you know, he leads worship up here. And he's always like, he's like buff and he's in shape. And I thought, you know, I'm not looking for some like flabby dude to work out with. I want to find a guy who looks like how I, I want to look, right? And so I said, Zach, I need you to keep me accountable. I want to work out. And for two months, it was awesome. We worked out every week, at least three or four times a week. And he texts me in the morning, you coming? Oh, I'm coming. I'll be there because I, I will be there. I, I'm driven with accountability, right? I'll be there. And I, I will work out. And we lifted those weights and it was awesome. But back in November, uh, Zachary had to have shoulder surgery, uh, which meant we could no longer work out. And so about mid-December, as I was feeling the flab coming back, I said, Zach, when can you go back to the gym? Because I'm getting fat. Like, I need to get back to the gym. And he just looked back at me so ever lovingly, and as a 20-year-old only can do it, and says, dude, you can go today. And I was like, oh, right. And so now I got accountability again, and I'm happy to say I went to the gym at least four days this week. So, yeah, we're on, we're on track back there again. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Accountability is key to getting unstuck. It's so important that once you make a plan, you have someone to help you stick to it. The reality is this is really one of the most important things that we do. That's why we have ministries like Renew. That's why we offer marriage mentoring and counseling, because you need someone around you who will help you stay the course once you've made a plan. And listen, Queen Esther told all of Persia that she was going to go before the king. And at that point, even if she didn't feel like it, 
She knew she had to. If she was tempted to back down or say, you know what, I'm a little scared if I go before the king, I might die. She knew she couldn't because she had made herself accountable to the entire nation. And she knew that if she backed out, she might feel better about herself, but that whole nation would die and there would be a genocide of the Jewish people. You got to get someone around you who will hold you accountable to believe with you for what God is asking you to do. All right, and the last one, as you make your way around the circle, the last thing you do after you get accountability is you actually have to act. You actually have to do it. It's one thing to observe the problem and finally admit you have one and take a time of reflection. It's one thing to talk about it with a friend and, and get a plan in place and have some accountability. But, but if you don't actually do it, you will never be unstuck. It's a new year, and how many of us have already made New Year's resolutions? I don't know what that word is. Someone should write that down and tweet it. I'd like to market that word. Thank you. New Year's resolutions. And most of us have already blown it, right? Listen, we have to do what we believe God is asking us to do. Why? Because this, <laughs> this is where God brings the breakthrough for us. You see, when we observe that we're stuck and reflect on it through time with God and through prayer and fasting, when we discuss it with someone and make a plan and get some accountability and then act, when we act naturally, God acts supernaturally. Yeah. When we act in the natural, God moves in the supernatural. We have to act, but I don't want you to mistake this message for a self-help message. It's not a psychological method, and it's not, you know, trying to get three points in a poem to make you happy and go home. <laughs> that was a good rhyme. I just made that one up. <laughs> listen, listen, this is a tool for you to learn to hear God and then respond by saying, what am I going to do about it? And that's what happened for Queen Esther. She went back before the king. She risked her life. She pushed past her fears and doubts and her uncertainty because she had heard from God. She had come into her Kairos moment. She had come to the kingdom for such a time as this. She had to trust after walking through the process that no matter how foggy it looked, after going around that perpetual circle of fear, she had to trust that God would do what he said he would do. And she did it. And when she did it, the king had favor on her and ended up having Haman, the evil guy, put to death the same way that he had planned on killing the Jews. That simple act by Esther not only saved her, but it saved an entire nation. You never know why God might want you unstuck, but can I tell you today that you staying where you are could be someone deterring someone else from what God has for them? You see, getting unstuck is not just about you feeling better about yourself and being happy. Getting unstuck is about you stepping into the purpose that God has for your life, to go into all the world, to tell people about Jesus, to make his name famous on the earth in 2019. But if we as a church just sit back all the time, sitting in our problems and our addictions and our failures going, well, I never had anything and I don't know if I'll amount to anything and my grandma didn't have anything and my mama didn't have 
have anything, so I guess I just won't have anything, and I'm going to sit here till Jesus comes back to get me, then we fail as Christians. Our job is to come into these Kairos moments in our life, to step out into faith, to go around the circle saying, God, how can I do this? Who can I get around me to keep me accountable to move forward? Because when we step out, God moves and breakthrough happens and our lives become about more than ourselves, but they become about bringing him glory and building his kingdom here on earth. So, yeah. So I don't know how he'll do it, but I know he will. God showed up for Esther. He showed up for people all the way through scripture time and time again. again. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, he's done it for me. So my question for you as we close is this. What is God saying to you in these moments where you find yourself stuck? And what are you going to do about it?